0: It's a bit different. You're starting and I'm finishing. Yeah, well, that's it.
1: Oh, mate. Hey, thanks so much for jumping on. It's been a little while since we spoke last, but how have you been?
0: Yeah, it's been good. It's been a very busy year. Uh, So it's all going in the right direction, you know. It's kind of managing it now is my challenge. So there's always something. I don't think we're ever happy, you know. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. growth is good. Just uh, getting the balance lifestyle yeah. and uh but other than that it's all good i have no complaints so we have a new app coming out We have a book coming out and there's a yeah it's full oh, on excellent. well we'll talk
1: all about yeah. that but uh, i'll introduce good. you to matt this is matt this is my business partner um Hi, he's been for the last like six years and he's uh he's the one that put all the brains behind our new product but basically teaches me everything i need to know about my body <laughs> good stuff excellent good so stuff. We'll- it's always good We're- to have a sidekick yeah exactly <laughs> Well, we'll rip straight in. I'll do a little bit of an intro, but um, then we'll probably just get in just asking you a little bit about, you know, what you do, how you got into what you did, how you started, and, and maybe talk about your your early asthma days and things like that, and then talk about, you know, what you found out over the last, you know, 20 years of, of discovering breath and how it, how it's so important. So if that's cool with you, and then we just have a, a pretty easy conversation for maybe half an hour or so, if that suits you. I know it's late there. No worries. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. All right, cool. Alrighty guys James Newbury here with Matt Legg and we've got Patrick McCowan this is episode number 10 of the fiber performance podcast we're going to be talking to Patrick about oxygen breath control nose breathing and how to navigate increasing your performance and maybe decreasing disease with uh, proper breath work so Patrick thanks for coming on it's a pleasure James and Matt it's great to be
0: here yeah it'll be an interesting conversation now you know taking the hippiness out of breath work that's what it's all about
1: <laughs> yeah well that's what we found so much uh recently is that when you talk to someone about breath work that it's like well i just breathe every day and it just is what it is but what we're kind of finding out i guess in more recent times it's not really it is what it is it's there's if we're not breathing correctly it can stem to a bunch of different things it can be can be a, a, an increased response to you know, jumping into that sympathetic nervous system. It can be, you know, a, a constant low-level stress response throughout the day. It can increase anxiety. It can exacerbate asthma. Um, it can do all these different things that we never really thought it could do, or maybe some people did, but I guess to the greater population, it's just something that you do just to, you know, get around day to day. But, you know, I see it all the time, and I think I mentioned this when we spoke last time, that now I'm so aware of breath control that, I was sitting in an airport and I was watching this young kid play on a um, it must have been some type of game and he was sitting there playing this game with his dad sitting next to him in the uh, the waiting area to jump on the plane and I was watching this kid play this game and maybe once every 60 seconds to 90 seconds I'd see him sit there and he's playing the game and then he would go (sighs) and he'd sit there take a big deep mouth breath just sitting there doing something passive. And I was like, this kid is like majorly stressed. There's something going on. Like I I couldn't get my eyes away from it. I just noticed it. So um, what do you think's going on there when people are taking just these repetitive, uh, repetitive breaths through the mouth that are super deep and super consistent and almost looks like they're stressed in a non-stressed environment? What's happening and what's what's going on there?
0: Like even for a young child, breathing patterns can be off. We've seen kids, You know, working with children from the age of four years of age upwards, especially if they have a tendency towards asthma or childhood asthma or, you know, frequent colds, trauma. You know, if there's there's tension in the home. And also there was a study that came out about six months ago looking at the stress levels of parents and the children with asthma and the effect that the stress levels of parents have on the kids with asthma. So kids are very vulnerable. And we're around them. We don't always, I suppose, appreciate our moods and the effect it has on the kids around us. And I know, of course, we're not looking to live in harmony all the time, but some kids are exposed to that little bit more trauma than others. A child with a breathing like that. Now, some people might say it's, it's normal to sigh frequently, but the question here is how frequent is normal? And when people come into me and I see frequent sighing, they're either not comfortable in their situation or they're in a state of that increased stress response. So frequent sighing would be a sign of a regular breathing pattern. It is a regular breathing. And what drives that is that the individual is sitting there, but then all of a sudden they're feeling this immense feeling of air hunger. And that can be due to an increased chemo sensitivity to carbon dioxide. So many of the athletes are going to be aware that, you know, it's all about improving tolerance to CO2. The gas CO2 carbon dioxide is the primary driver to breathe. If you're overly sensitive to the accumulation of carbon dioxide, your breathing is going to be faster and harder. You're more likely then to gas out. You're not going to, you know, reach your full potential. You don't have that reserve left in the tank. And also, I suppose from an athletic point of view, there's an energy, there's an energy consumption that the harder and the faster you breathe, the more oxygen that's devoted to supporting the breathing muscles. And, So for example, normally as we're sitting here about two to 3% of our oxygen consumption is supporting the breathing muscles. During fairly intense exercise, it could be 10%, 10%. During maximum, it could be 13, 14, 15%. But if you have an individual with dysfunctional breathing, it's going to increase that. And the other aspect then from an athletic point of view is that if you're overusing the accessory, not the accessory muscles, but the diaphragm itself, There can be a build-up of metabolites. And what can happen there is that the diaphragm gets tired and blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm. So you've got an athlete going. The next thing is the legs start going from under that person. Is it due to a build-up of hydrogen ion, which can be delayed by changing breathing patterns? Or is it due to dying from fatigue? So coming back to that child, you know, this is just that observation, James. You're connected with Brett. You're seeing it there. And I'd also say to people, don't let your breathing let you down. Of course, the kid has nothing to be concerned about. But how many of us go into a challenging situation? And we, by our breathing patterns changing in response to our own stress levels, the opponent will know straight off. And also a competitor that when the athlete is starting to get gassed, that's when you, you know, you, you always will know your opponent. Always pay attention to your opponent's breathing. Pay attention to your own, but
1: pay even more attention to your opponents. I love that because the one of the biggest key factors, and you can you can break some people during competition. I remember uh, specifically this one time I was actually running with um, Tia and her husband Shane in a training session, and it was about a 9K loop, but it started with sand dunes and it finished with sand dunes. But the rest of the the bulk of the run was along a flat track on a um, a flat track on a road and um, gave them gave them a uh, we took off and on the way back we had to loop around and come back and I was running pretty hard and it got to the point where I couldn't manage my nose breathing to an extent and I was doing some mouth breathing but then when I saw Shane coming the other way on his loop to come past me I immediately turned back to nose breathing and turning back to nose breathing as I ran past to show how controlled I was. He said to me after the thing, and I didn't even talk to him about nose breathing prior to this, but he said, dude, when I saw you come past and your mouth was shut and you look so composed, he goes, I just gave up chasing. He's like, I literally just gave up. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, cool. so you can actually play mind games. like, and, yeah. and if you know that somebody else is next to you breathing hard and they're having a hard time getting it in, that can be a really good way to literally go mm-hmm. take them from the the mindset of I could catch this person to, you know what? I'm okay with second.
0: Yeah. 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 And do you different. know what I also find about the breath? I think it's a phenomenal way that whenever one is doing physical exercise, you're not just training the body, but also to train breathing. Use the physical exercise to change, train your breathing, but also to train the brain. So there's a, a situation that mental fatigue set in. His mind let him down there. He seen exactly. you with your mouth closed and automatically he started thinking and overthinking. That was game over. You know, yeah, exactly he, right. he might have been in flying form. He could have continued. He could have even surpassed you. But yeah.
1: distraction yeah. mind. We can't let the mind let us down. Well, one thing that Matt might be able to touch on here as well. Um, you did mention, you know, the build up of uh, the hydrogen ions in the mm. legs. We actually just had a conversation with... Um, a doctor who's been looking into, um, our energy pathways and basically what happens when we're building up, well, what we presumed for so many years, which was lactic acid. And then we kind of realize that we've got this system that kind of jumps in and, and takes over and it's maybe not lactic acid, but it's lactate or, you know, these different pathways. So, uh, what we're, what we're looking at doing is how can we, how can we use the breath, How can we use the breath to increase our co2 tolerance um and then what does it actually do for the levels of co2 and oxygen because from what i understand we need we need both and we do need that co2 to maximize the utilization of the oxygen so we can perform work but if we're just dumping the co2 constantly not only are we not maximizing our oxygen but we're also not allowing our bodies to become accustomed to the co2 which then kind of shoots ourselves in the foot at the same time
0: yeah Mouth breathing during physical exercise, your body is producing plenty of CO2 but because of the mouth open, the carbon dioxide in the blood does not increase. So the only way to expose yourself to higher carbon dioxide during physical exercise is to keep the mouth closed. And the reason being is because your nose imposes a resistance to your breathing that's two to three times that of the mouth. Now this adds an extra load. You'll know that carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood during physical exercise because you've got an increased sensation of air hunger. Remember, carbon dioxide, of course, is the primary drive to breathe. So as carbon dioxide increases in the blood, the stimulus to breathe is increased. So you're feeling that sense of breathlessness or suffocation. However, this is when we're adding the extra load onto the athlete. And it's not about necessarily running with the mouth closed to the point that breathing is excruciating. It's adding a controlled load. And the body then will adapt to that after a period of time. And all all it takes is weeks. Once the body adapts to the higher tolerance of carbon dioxide, then for that same level of intensity of physical exercise, you don't need as much ventilation. So there's an economy in terms of savings there. Uh, This is only starting to get some attention. Like we've been talking about this for 20 years. Sports medicine scientists now are starting to get behind it. There was an interesting article that was written by physiologists in Austria and also by a sports medicine scientist called George Dallam from the United States. Now, he did a very small study, 10 recreational athletes. He had them breathe exclusively through their nose for six months. He then tested them after six months on a graded exercise test. They were able to maintain 100% of work rate intensity with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, but with 22% less ventilation. And also their fraction of expired oxygen was less. So with nose breathing and a higher tolerance to CO2, so carbon dioxide in the blood during Dalham's study was 44 millimeters of mercury. That's with the mouth closed. But with the mouth open, it was 40. So with a higher CO2 in the blood, there's a drop to blood pH. And hemoglobin affinity for oxygen reduces. So hemoglobin is the protein that carries most of the oxygen inside the, the red blood cells and hemoglobin releases oxygen more readily now to the working muscles. So if you can improve your CO2 tolerance, you should be able to stay aerobically for longer because when we go that we're running without air, we're going anaerobic, the hydrogen ion coming from the muscles doesn't get oxidized. So there's two ways then to help delay fatigue. One is to improve the aerobic capacity of the individual. But the second is to do breath holding and breath holding is where you're deliberately putting your body into that oxygen That Now, typically we all, all we want to do is drop blood oxygen saturation. It is severe hypoxia, but it's down to about 85%. We're not doing anything to the point that people are going blue and they're passing out or anything like that. We don't want anything like that because we do breath holding during the physical exercise. But what happens here, and it's not fully known, James, Work by a researcher called Wurons from Paris 13 University. He's been putting out research on this for about 10 years. And just by coincidence, it's the same techniques that we've been using for 20 years. So happy days. I didn't have to do the research. Somebody else was doing it for us. So we can borrow the research from Wurons' papers. And he's thinking that the likely adaptation is taking place inside the muscle compartment. That it's increasing the buffering inside the muscle, which is there's if I can remember correctly, is protein phosphates and to a lesser extent bicarbonate. So then the hydrogen ion de- is delayed before it's released into the blood to delay lactic acid. So I think there's there's twofold thing there, but I also think there's a mental component here because if you do a run with your mouth closed, the sensation of breathlessness is stronger. But if you do some breath holding, there's also a strong sensation of breathlessness. And you're disturbing the blood acid-base balance And it's almost that you're telling the brain, if there's a central governor there that's dictating the limits of what you're able to do, we're challenging that to tell the brain that, yes, it's safe to go that little bit further. Because hard training, you're telling the body it's okay to do it. But, you know, people sprint to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. If you sprint with your mouth open, you're hardly going hypoxic, hardly going If you sprint with your mouth closed, your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to about 93%. You could do a jog in a room with your breath hold, and you'll lower your blood oxygen saturation to 85%. It's much stronger in terms of stimulating anaerobic glycolysis, but without the trauma. So I think athletes need to start getting a little bit creative here. You know, and we have to drop this idea that breathing is for a bunch of hippies and open sandal brigade. And, you know, the, the custodians are breathing for the last 40 years. They've held it back. Breathing is about those tools to regulate states. Like I was working with a boxer there. He was fighting last Saturday, world-class boxer, an absolutely tremendous athlete. And he was doing it to get that one extra percent. And that's all. But he rang and I said, listen, I said, what do you want to get out of this? He said, I want to get that extra 1%. So we did breath holding, nose-breathing on the pads. You know, 12 three-minute rounds is tough going. That's the way to train as well. Nose-breathing on the pads, nose-breathing during sparring, uh, doing breath holding, but also training the brain and bringing this into your everyday life. You can't just expect to have absolutely focus and concentration on a day of competition your focus is trained in your everyday life. In your training in the gym, where is your mind? How often is the mind wandering? Where is your attention? And we're training attention, we're training breathing, and to do it together. And these are the tools then we can use outside of our athletic performance, you know? So, it just kind of, before I I close with this sentence, but there was a recent enough study that came out of the journal, one of the strength conditioning research journals. I can't remember exactly the title. They looked at about it was a fairly large population of a couple of thousand athletes. And they concluded that 90% of these athletes had dysfunctional breathing. Now, that was from a biomechanical point of view. I would never say or never consider that 90%, but most certainly different athletes are more prone to it. And I would say that athletes who are prone to perfectionist tendencies to anxiety and panic disorder, typically we would expect about 75%. Athletes who have respiratory issues, so say cyclist cough, inflammation in the lungs, exercise-induced bronchial constriction, I would say that's high enough as well, probably about 50%. Athletes with lower back pain, 50%. So just different cohorts of individuals who are more prone to dysfunctional breathing than others. But then the question to ask is, how can we change breathing from dysfunctional to functional and also the realization that breathing and movement go together. If your breathing is dysfunctional, your movement is not
1: functional. And if your movement isn't functional, you're more prone to injury. That's super interesting. And I think we have two points of breathing that we're going to touch on now. But just mm-hmm. to add to the, um, the, the data here, and this is probably cool for you to hear as well. Um, I started doing some uh, specific breath practices through the nose only during 2016, 2017, to increase my CO2 tolerance. And here are some stats for you that are quite fascinating. I started this protocol with an increased, increased, uh, increased protocol where I would get on the assault bike. I would ride the assault bike at 48 RPMs, nose breathing only. Every minute I would take a heart rate measurement, and I'd also increase my RPMs by two on the top of every minute. So from there, I would build myself up to a maximal a maximal effort where I couldn't feel like I needed to I needed to mouth breathe. Basically max it out. That first time I ever did that was about 128 beats a minute. And I can't remember the RPMs. But basically my maximal capacity was 128 beats a minute nose breathing. After that, I felt like I had to use my mouth. I did a six-week protocol where I introduced a long 45 to 60-minute nose breathing only at low aerobic rate. About 115 beats a minute, 120 beats a minute. And then I did a second session, which was three seven minute efforts with a ramped up in increased intensity from aerobic to maximal capacity. Um, And then I also did a max out five by 30 second max out on the assault bike. Uh, And then I would post each effort. I would do two times max breath holds just to bring that blood sat down. And I'll use a pulse oximeter and see what I'm getting down to. And yeah, it was around the 85%, 83% range. And I did that every week with slight modifications each week for six weeks. And I took my ability to maintain nose breathing from 127 beats a minute. By the end of the six weeks, I could hold nose breathing for up to 15 to 20 minutes at 161 beats a minute.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's an an amazing adaptation. So it is. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah! yeah, It's great. a
1: A lot was to do with the mind as well, because Prior to that, I'd never done anything like it. I thought I was going to pass out and die. And then it was also becoming okay with the idea that, no, I'm good. I'm going to get enough oxygen. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to breathe out enough CO2. And that adaptation happened very quickly, but I was very precise with each week of training. I didn't miss any sessions and I did them exactly to my protocols, which was super fascinating. But something that I know that Matt wants to talk about um, and which I also was doing at the same time getting away from the dynamic work, looking at the passive breathing exercises that we could do. I was also doing this on a daily basis. I would have an AM and a PM session. So I'd do a cadence in the morning and an apnea at night that I was given protocols to follow from Brian McKenzie. And they were basically protocols that I could follow to help give me some uh, CO2 tolerance work without having the physical exercise part to it. So I had two aspects. And I, I know that Matt really wants to touch on ways that we can breathe um, to lower our fight or flight response. So what have you noticed with this well, type of stuff?
2: Yeah, so it's cool. I'm glad you guys are talking about the adaptation because a lot of the stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, I forgot forgot to talk. A lot of our stuff um, that we've been talking about is helping the body to adapt to a stress uh, and to improve our performance or even actually improve our everyday life um, by improving our tolerance to stress. So what you guys are talking about, it's really fascinating because we're talking about actually putting yourself just same as the way you might train a muscle for rehab or train our brain to be tougher and that sort of stuff. You're talking about using the breathing to put ourselves into a stressful situation to trigger our bodies to do some sort of adaptation. So typically for the listeners out there, the adaptation that we talked about was a lot of it was on a cellular level as well, where we actually can build more energy warehouse per cell, um, and get better and better at generating energy from the oxygen that we have, and also getting better at buffering the metabolic waste that's building up when we're struggling to get adequate fuel through. And then our body gets better and better at doing that, which gives us a level of fitness um, through that adaptation, but also on a mental perspective having that ability to put yourself into a stressful situation, but then control that. Um, and in doing so, maintaining good posture, maintaining good reducing the amount of fight or flight responses you get to let your body know, increase your threshold for what you're capable of doing. And so what what, what I'm hearing today, it's like really, really cool because this isn't what I imagine the conversation to be around. Um, I imagine the conversation be more about relaxing and let's get better at, Breathing in more oxygen and burning out more carbon dioxide, pumping out more carbon dioxide through breathing, as opposed to doing a strategy to reduce our blood oxygen, increase our carbon dioxide to increase our stress to trigger an adaptive response. It's fascinating because this is something really constructive. Because I was only joking before it, saying, Look, I think I'm pretty good at breathing. I mean, I do it all the time. I haven't really, I don't even think about it typically. Yeah. Um, but I thought that too with posture, and I also thought that too with stress. And I thought that too with so many other aspects of my life. But once I was made aware of my bad posture during stress, or the symptoms that I manifest during a stress response, like the sweating and dissociation, public speaking, and you know, those sort of things, and then I learned ways to control my posture, and then I learned ways to control my nervous system. Sounds like this is the same sort of thing. A Breathing is another tool that we can add in that when we are aware of it, when we can feel ourselves, or like James was saying, you can see it in kids in the airport, the weirdo. Um, So you you can manifest, you feel these things in yourself. And all of a sudden, once you're aware of it, you go, hey, I'm not in my calm zone. I'm in a stress state here. And then also old mate across the table might know I'm in that state as well. So what can we do for the people that aren't elite athletes, like for us to just struggle with breathing sounds like it's a good thing towards uh, uh, getting adaptation. I remember the Naturopath College, I was talking about the potato breathing method and sticky tape in your mouth shut. Um, and that was pretty much all I learned about it, which was enough to be dangerous, I think. Um, so we, <laughs> for the people out there that are not an elite athlete as such, but know that they could use these breathing techniques to improve their ability to adapt to stress of all kinds. What's some tricks we could do? I suppose,
0: Matt, the first question we ask is anytime we get into a tricky situation, how do we naturally respond? And more often than not, the individual will breathe faster, harder, and irregular regular breathing. Now, when we breathe that way, what's the body telling the brain? The body is telling the brain that the body is under threat, and all the brain wants to do is get you out of the situation. We've all experienced times that we've got into a fight or flight response that the shit has hit the fan. And instead of having a calm and composed demeanor to come up with a solution, all we want to do is get out of there. The very time that we need to have focused attention and to be calm, we don't have it. It's not about waiting until something happens, but it's about bringing this into our everyday life. In terms of breathing, if we want to upregulate, we hyperventilate or we do a long breath hold. They're stressors but it's just as important to down And down-regulation can be done, especially with slow breathing, but especially when the emphasis is on the slower exhalation. So when we breathe in, the vagus nerve steps back. So it's more of a stress response in terms of the breath. But when we have that exhalation, that's entirely under con- the control of the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest response. If during rest, we have a fast exhalation, the body is telling the brain that things aren't good. But if during rest, we have a really slow and relaxed, gentle exhalation, the body is telling the brain that things are okay, that the body is safe. Now, all it takes is about 30 seconds to elicit a physiological response. So something's after happening, bring your attention inwards, I'm not going to say it's always easy. Something has happened. It may be a few minutes before you then bring your attention onto the breath. But you work on gently slowing down the exhalation. And you just focus on that. Now, the more you bring this into your everyday life, you have it then it will. So when something happens, you can immediately draw in. But here is even something better. The more we bring breathing into our everyday life and understand that every breathing exercise has its own purpose. When we think about breathing, we have to think about is it affecting the biochemistry, the biomechanics, the autonomic nervous system? What's the impact on the respiratory system, sleep, etc., etc.? If we knew, know those tools, then we have a tool for different situations. And these are the tools to be able to self-regulate. So for example, some of the people I work with, and I work with a again, this year is working with snipers. So I'm brought into situations that you can have a, imagine a sniper, typically 30 years of age, male, highly trained. They're often coming from elite army units. The units that I work with are in the police. And these guys are sitting behind the sight of a rifle for one hour at a time. They can be in a hot environment. There's a lot of psychological pressure on them because of course, you know, somebody's life is in their hands. I was brought in to train how to breathe in order to pull the trigger of a gun. Now, that's about changing your state. So really, based on what I spoke about, now people will understand. When you breathe in, it's sympathetically driven. There's an elevation of the heart rate. When you breathe out with a really slow and relaxed and gentle exhalation, the vagus nerve secretes the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, and the heart rate slows down. The sniper, one option can be to pull the trigger right at the bottom of the exhalation and to pull the trigger between heartbeats because every heartbeat will knock off target. And if you miss at that point, then you wait to the next breath and you take the shot at the bottom of the next exhalation. And this is the beauty about, you, the, how many times could this be used, an athlete going to take a free kick? There's a psychological pressure with the crowds around them. They want to be able to down-regulate. There's cameras on them. Nobody will even know what they're doing. Soft breath in through the nose. A really relaxed, slow, gentle breath out. Recovery post-physical exercise to bring down the heart rate. But the other thing is how many athletes are prone to sleep disorder breathing. They're stopping breathing during sleep. They're waking up at a dry mouth in the morning. They have sleep disruptions. They're snoring that's impacting their heart rate variability their resilience so when we look at breathing there's the long term thing about it that the more we bring it into our way of life it improves our resilience so we're better able to cope with the shocks the next thing is to have strategies that whenever a shock happens that we can deal with it and it's always about bringing breathing into our everyday breathing you know you could have an athlete with dysfunctional breathing that breathing isn't going to fix itself automatically when that person goes out onto a field or a pitch or a track or whatever they carry that dysfunctional breathing with them and it's the same with their focus and for me the two are so linked because if you tr- if you train your breathing you can train your capacity to get into that flow state and so many people talk about flow states but how many can actually do it how many can have such focused attention that your attention is moving simultaneously with time. And to, to achieve flow state, you need balance of the autonomic nervous system, but you also need slow-wave sleep. So you do need the capacity to self-regulate. And how many people, their performance is sabotaged because their breathing is letting them down and their mind is letting them down. And athletes typically don't train either one. We need to train both.
1: So with um, a protocol is there any protocols that you would recommend for someone to you know practice either of a of a morning or of an evening maybe similar to you know the, one protocol that i used to follow of uh you used to do it twice a day uh was a, a cadence protocol which is basically the the ratio of the breath control would be one one two one so for instance if i started off with sevens it'd be a seven second inhale a seven second hold a 14 second exhale and then a seven second hold out. And I would repeat this for 10 minutes. If I could get through 10 minutes of following that seven, seven, 14, seven, that means I could go to the next stage, which was eight, eight, 16, eight, and work my way up. And the higher you can get, obviously the better breath control you have, the better CO2 tolerance you have, because you're going for a period of time. Like I worked up to my best ever 10 minute round was 12 seconds. So 12, 12, 24, 12, which means I was only taking I was only intaking ten one breaths breath. in ten minutes. So yes, that was, one breath per minute. Yes. Yeah. So that was where the I worked things. up to. But when I first and it was hard, I got to the end. I was I was definitely in fight or flight by the end. But um, uh, when I first tried to do this, I couldn't get through sixes. Like I couldn't do a six, six, twelve, six for ten minutes. I couldn't even get through six minutes of it. Um, but then it, it adapted very quick. This was during the six week protocol that I followed. Mm. Um, so is, is something like that something that you would recommend to people? Like what types of protocols would you recommend someone to try passively that could take them from stress to relaxed and focused?
0: I think the best thing to do to form a habit is to find out what is the person already doing? So most people are getting out for maybe a half an hour to an hour physical exercise most days. Why not just during the low to moderate intensity stuff, do it with all, all with your mouth closed? That's, going, that's a breathing exercise in itself. And it's a breathing exercise that everybody can do. Sometimes people do get anxious if they focus it, their attention on their breathing. But that's something that you can do without even having to have attention. All you have to do is have the, the lips together. The benefits are enormous. You're adding an extra load from a biochemical dimension, but also from a biomechanical dimension. In the morning, so for example, when you wake up, if you want to upregulate, what I would say is do a few breath holds. So even if you were to go for a walk for five or 10 minutes, during that five to 10 minute walk, do a couple of easy breath holds first on an exhalation, and then do two or three strong breath holds. So they will stress you, spleen contraction, the increased blood flow and oxygen delivery. You know, so they, they, it's an upregulator, make you more alert. Down regulation before sleep. You want to activate the rest and digest response. Typically, I don't like apneas before sleep because they can make you too alert. So we want to be down regulating, and we're focusing on the down regulation. Always in that really slow and relaxed exhalation. I don't always give people time because James, you're well able to do it, but not everybody would have even been able to do seven because that's two breaths per minute. You know, so it'll really depend on the person. Sometimes you could have a normal individual and they may have a breath hold time of about 14, 15 seconds. For that individual, I wouldn't necessarily give them a cadence breathing, but what I would say to them is, slow down your exhalation about 30% more than what you're doing at the moment. And soften your breath about 30%. So say 20 to 30% relative to what they are already doing and to tune in on the breath. And again, you know, don't kind of set an expectation that I'm here and I'm doing this to get relaxed. No, no, you have to play with it because you you don't want to set too high an expectation that you you hampered the performance of the very thing that you want to change. You're sitting down, relaxed enough in the evening, take that soft breath in through your nose and that really slow and gentle exhalation and soften the breath to the point of air hunger And look to get an air hunger that's tolerable, that you feel comfortable. Now, if you can start off with one minute of the air hunger, then take a rest. And then take a rest for a minute, and then do again for a minute, just when you're starting off. And the reason being is because air hunger can initiate a fight-or-flight response. And people with panic disorder and anxiety can have a very strong reaction to the fear of suffocation. And I've put people into panic attacks. I put one guy into accident in an emergency with with panic disorder. So we, we always, I'd always say to people, we don't always know how our body is going to react and it's good to dip your toe into the water and pay attention to how your body is reacting and just gently then build it up over a period of time. But above all else, bring breathing into your way of life. It is good to sit down for a formal session. You know, so many people they have no problem looking at their phones 50 times a day spending two hours looking at whatever is going on, all of the feeds, and instead that two hours should be devoted to ourselves. Now, I'm not even saying two hours. Ten minutes twice daily would be absolutely amazing, and the benefits are immense. And, you know, we're putting out an app now that's due out in about a week or two. I've just put in about $150,000 into the app. The app is free. And the reason being, everybody is saying I'm crazy, I'm mad, stupid thing to do, I want to get breathing out there and I want to generate awareness of breathing because this has been held back for too long. And I don't have no idea what's holding it back. You know, I have seen that there has been a trend in the last three to four years. So my, my ambition now is to get a half million downloads on a free app with a hundred different videos, 25 different exercises, different states. So people with PTSD, people with trauma, female breathing, asthma, fatigue, sports performance bring it into your way of life with a daily plan so we spent the last 12 months putting the app together so yeah so we're just kind of in final testing phase and hopefully you know that gets out and it, it gets it into the hands of people can you uh
1: tell us what it's called
0: yeah no, it's oxygen oxygen advantage so, yeah. yeah it's
1: under our own brand yeah, yeah. Great. And, right and and just uh quickly before we uh wrap things up is it as whilst we're doing this as well what what i found the most difficult thing when i was learning how to control my breath and by no means am i an expert but i am definitely better than what i was uh the thing that i struggled with the most was the slow exhalation that it was almost like i felt this initial reaction to just dump the air and i couldn't let it relax into a nice steady smooth slow exhalation but after maybe a handful of sessions probably four or five sessions i then could take the breath in and then i could let it out at a nice smooth pace rather than out stop out stop out stop out stop and it was like really rigid and it wasn't it was there was no flow to it at all but then after a handful of sessions i began to realize i can actually do it nice and slow and i think the people that probably do this the best naturally are swimmers
0: yeah well they're doing breathing exercise any anyway in the pool if you think of the swimmer going across the water the water's pressing up against them. So they're breathing against resistance. So they're already putting a load on. And also they have the head in the water. So the breathing volume that they breathe for the level of exercise is going to be reduced. Okay, they might breathe, but they may take a mouth breath every three or five strokes or whatever. It's You answered your question. The The answer is practice. And okay. the, the answer is also, you know, it's kind of that fine line. So if you're gently softening the breath, that you're having that soft breath in, the really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. Well, if the breath in is too soft and if the breath out is too slow and relaxed, you might have too much of an air hunger at the bottom of the breath. And that's why the breath can be staggered. And the other thing is not to interfere with the breathing muscles. Always think of the exhalation as being totally passive during rest. You allow it to happen. And you could even visualize that you're taking your breath in and as you're breathing in, the diaphragm is moving downwards. And then during exhalation, you're visualizing the diaphragm moving back up to its resting position. And you're having that normal and slow and complete exhalation. You're not emptying your lungs of oxygen. You're not emptying the, the lungs of air. You're just having a normal, complete exhalation. And then you're starting off again. It's just practice. That's all. That's excellent. Oh. And that's
2: one other thing just with that practice can make permanent or perfect so that's the thing the rest of us are practicing constantly breathing um we're breathing all the time it's one thing we're constantly practicing and if we're actually doing it slightly wrong or if there's a way that we could be doing it a little bit better it's kind of cool to know that there's something that we we do consistently and we plan on doing it for a long time into the future that we could actually be getting better and better at it rather than worse
1: and worse exactly (laughs) yeah and it's also a pretty cool way if you if you know you feel quite heightened, you just had a bad phone call or someone's cut you off in traffic or, you know, you've just got an email that you're, you're not happy about or you've just been given a task that you didn't expect and you all of a sudden feel this overwhelming anxiety or stress response, a really good way to combat that is to be like, you know what, I'm going to set a timer on my watch for two and a half, three minutes and I'm going to slow down my exhales, I'm going to breathe in slowly for however, whatever feels normal And I'm going to slow down that breath. I'm going to do this for two to three minutes. See how you feel after that. Probably game changer.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I've done it. Uh, There's always times, you know, you're trying to get into a Zoom meeting. i be at one Zoom meeting and there's 30 or 40 people in a totally different one. Can't find the (laughs) link. You know, how do you react to it? What can I do? Focus on my breathing. Slow it down.
1: Great tool.
2: And
0: I would agree with Matt. We have the breath with us. You know, people sometimes say, well, it takes time to be focusing on my breathing. And I say to them, listen, you carry your breath with you all day long. And you'll always get a couple of minutes here and there that you can connect with your breathing. And people might say, well, it's difficult to be even, you know, having focused attention. I say, what's the alternative? You're stuck in your head. You're overthinking a lot of negativity, a lot of self-criticism. This isn't just about training the breath. This is about training the brain and that's a key component and we're using both to get it across so yeah i think it's a great tool i think it should be in schools how many kids going in to do exams and their breathing is letting them down how many people are going out to do public performances comp- competitions and their breathing lets them down nerves get in the way and you know there's very few like i was talking to one individual he's a professional cricketer and he said his de- debut match, he was so nervous that it completely sabotaged his performance. And the psychologist before the match came over to him and said, embrace your nerves. And I was just thinking, what on earth was the psychologist saying to this athlete? If that athlete had the tools to self-regulate, it would have been a different game. And that's what it should be. See, the thing is, it's so simple. It's been overlooked. But that's, that's the, the benefit of it, you know?
1: Oh well, I think you're doing a good job to bring people and bring the awareness. And you know, when when the app is ready, let us know, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll plaster uh, it wherever we can and get. Some I reckon
2: I reckon everyone that listens to this today is just right now sitting there like thinking because <laughs> I'm sitting, the whole time you talk, I'm thinking like closing my mouth, but I'm trying <laughs> to think about how my breathing's going and whether
1: it's making me anxious or not. I'm not quite sure,
2: yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I'm stoked. I can't wait for everyone to
1: get into this. Yeah. So. Yeah, Patrick, we really appreciate your time, and uh, we know it's getting late where you are. So, look, if uh, once once maybe the app is released and it's all good to go, we should get you back on and, and talk about uh, talk about some of the things that are inside the app that people could actually use, and, and and parts of it that you would recommend for particular people and and aspects and and sports people and everyday whatever it may be. We'll uh, maybe get you back on to talk a little bit more. Pleasure,
0: great lads. Thanks very much. Enjoyed the okay. conversation.
1: Thanks so much, Patrick. See you next time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was cool. That was great.